This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Hi again, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Black and Blue Report podcast. I'm Sean Kelly, and greetings from Studio B at the Osher Sports Performance Center in Metairie, Louisiana. We are so glad to be with you on this Monday. We've got a fantastic program lined up, talking all things Pelicans today as the uh, playoff series has moved back to the Bay Area for Game 5 tomorrow night. What a weekend it was at the Smoothie King Center for Games 3 and 4 here in New Orleans. And what a great sports weekend it was in general as we throw GMB Racing into the spotlight as well on this Monday. Two horses ran for Mrs. Gail Benson over the weekend. Chocolate Martini finished fifth in the Oaks on Friday. And then in the big Kentucky Derby on Saturday, a sloppy wet track. Lone Sailor finished eighth, besting his odds and uh, showing well, obviously, for a a young and -and up-and-coming stable that is GMB Racing. Uh, great fun over the weekend to uh, to watch and pull for some of our own, obviously, at the Derby and in the Oaks. But as far as the games go on the basketball side, obviously we've got pretty much a split over the weekend, a fantastic performance by the Pelicans on Friday night to win game three, and then Golden State on the strength of uh, 38 points from Kevin Durant yesterday, won 118-92, and now Golden State holds that 3-1 series advantage with game five coming again tomorrow night so uh, unfortunately a split of those games but I just I can't get over how much fun it was to be a part of it all at the Smoothie King Center this weekend the atmosphere was just absolutely electric a fantastic job done by the fans and unfortunately the players um, weren't able to give us uh, the 2-0 uh, sweep of the homestand if you will that we were looking for nonetheless the series is still alive and again a game five tomorrow night So with that, we will move forward on today's podcast with two very good segments. Uh, Coming up in just a moment, we'll hear from Daniel Salerson and John DeShazer. They're with the basketball team out west after traveling last night. So they'll set the scene for us in the San Francisco-Oakland area and give us a preview of what's to come in Game 5. And then our very special guest today on the Black and Blue Report, Mark Stein, national NBA writer from the New York Times. He'll reflect on what he's seen so far in the Pelicans-Warriors series, what he's seeing across the NBA with the remaining four series that all could possibly be wrapped up in the next 48 hours, which is unbelievable. Uh, And also maybe uh, perhaps uh, his thoughts on what lies ahead here now for the Pelicans beyond this postseason. So very good stuff today. Heavy Pelicans. And again, congratulations for GMB Racing. This is Gail Benson and the showing by the stable this weekend in Louisville, Kentucky. All right, so Mark Stein's still to come, but up next, we'll take you out to the Bay Area. Daniel Salerson and John DeShazer check in and set the scene and preview Game 5 next. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager, brewed with love and top-quality ingredients. It would grow to become something that connected us, the neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe, original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more, and always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. 
We call it No Appointment Radio. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We're here in Oakland, California, site of game number five between the Pelicans and the Golden State Warriors. Joining me now is John DeShazer. I'll have the call with him tomorrow night from Oracle Arena. And J.D., let's talk about first game four at the Smoothie King Center last night. And they say the old cliche is a series doesn't start until the road team wins. Well, the Golden State Warriors said this series has begun. Yeah, um, they and they did so emphatically. Um, they did a lot of the things that you expect to see out of the champs from time to time. Now, the Pels have been able to kind of hold them at bay in the middle two games, game two and game three. Um, but we saw some of this in game one, and then we see it pop up again in game four where there are times where Golden State can be dominant defensively. There are times where they can be dominant offensively. And when they put both of those two things together, they are a lethal team. And we expected in the first quarter the Golden State Warriors would come out red hot, punch the Pelicans in the mouth, and see how the Pelicans respond. Well, the Pelicans actually did respond in that second quarter, cutting it to seven at the half. But then, unfortunately, it all kind of fell apart there in quarters three and four. What did you see from the Pelicans as far as why they struggled so much yesterday against the Warriors? I think the biggest thing, and I I hate to break it down to be simplistic, but a a lot of it was just shot making. I mean, when you shoot basically – uh, 36% from the floor, and you shoot four for 26 from three, it's going to be tough to beat anybody, but especially a team like Golden State. They played well in that second quarter, the Pelicans did. They won that quarter 32-24. to 24. But when Golden State came back in the third quarter with a similar punch to the one they threw in the first quarter, the Pels just didn't have any answers because they didn't make shots. I mean, they were awful in terms of scoring in the paint. And yeah, they put up 52 points in the paint but 26 of 50 from the field, and a lot of that were blown layups and missed opportunities, and that accumulates over the course of a ball game. Again, when you're playing against a team that's making shots. Do you feel like they did get enough good shots? I know you talked about how they missed a ton, but did you feel like they got enough open looks yesterday? I thought they got a decent amount of them, um, especially on the 4 for 26 from 3. I thought they got a decent amount of clean looks on threes, and I thought they had some really good looks at the basket now. Are they being challenged on some of those? Of course, but you've got to convert those, and the Pelicans have been a top interior scoring team this season finished second in the league in points in the paint per game so we know they're capable of doing it and they just didn't get it done around the rim as often as they should have and could have yesterday they had a couple of blown opportunities there where they just busted layups that were unchallenged and you don't normally see that out of this team so hopefully that's something they can clean up defensively we saw Kevin Durant go off um, and he does that against any teams not just the Pelicans for I don't know how many I think it was 38 points yesterday if, uh, yeah, 38 points on 15 to 27 shooting. We always talk about what the Pelicans can do to try to stop Durant. One, they have three other guys that are capable of scoring in Green, Thompson, and Curry. But when you have Drew Holiday and Etwan Ward guarding Durant, what can he do to try to not even stop him but even just contain him? Well, unfortunately, the Pelicans, don't. they fall into the category, as you mentioned, like every other NBA team. There is no cover for Kevin Durant. Uh, really, probably the best matchup for the Pelicans against Kevin Durant would be Anthony Davis. And if Kevin Durant takes him far enough out on the perimeter, that's advantage Kevin Durant. So there's no cover for him. The best you can do is make him have tough looks and really see if you can work on the weaknesses of those other players. If you can make Klay Thompson shoot it off the bounce, which isn't the strong suit of his game. If you can make Steph Curry take tough shots. If you can make Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala into scores and decision makers. Those are the areas where the Pels and hopefully force Golden State into. I think they did that uh, for the most part in Game 3. They did a decent job of it in Game 2 and didn't get the result they wanted, but they were close at the end and gave themselves a chance. That's the best chance they're going to have because Kevin Durant, when he's aggressive, as he was on Sunday, and when he's looking for a shot, 
He's 6'10", 6'11". Drew Holiday's 6'4", on a good day. Each one more 6'4", 6'5", on a good day. Even Solomon Hill, who's 6'7", none of those guys are big enough to keep Kevin Durant from getting a clean look. They can't obstruct his view. He, he shoots it high. He shoots it extremely well. And now he works off the post when he gets a smaller player on him. So he's an impossible cover. But if you can take away some of those other elements, make those guys a little bit more uncomfortable, that's where your chance comes. Let's talk about a positive for the Pelicans yesterday. And I thought they did a good job of getting to the line. I know they started missing some of those shots in the fourth. But we talked about the free throw discrepancy all throughout the broadcast and throughout games one through three. But that wasn't a problem yesterday for the Pelicans. They did a good job attacking the paint. Yeah, 24-30 from, from the line, and that's a good sign. I mean, hopefully that's something that can maintain. Again, in the previous games when the Pels had the, the horrific imbalance, <laughs> really all they wanted was a level balance at the foul line. And that's really what you want as any NBA team. Now, every team's going to whine and, and moan about more, getting more shots, but you just want a balance. But when they were able to get to the line 30 times on Sunday, hopefully that gives them a little bit more incentive to continue to pound it inside. But now when they pound it inside, and again, on the kickouts, 426 on threes, they had some clean, good looks on threes and simply did not convert. That's where your action is going to come because they're going to get some more good looks uh, on Tuesday night, and they've got to make those shots. Now we have game five here and a potential elimination game for the Pelicans, and it kind of reminds me of the Portland Trailblazers in game number four at the Smoothie King Center where they just threw the gauntlet at New Orleans. They tried to agitate them, get under their skin. It was physical. It was chippy. Do you expect the same from the Pelicans tomorrow night, knowing that it's either win or go home? Well, the Pelicans aren't particularly a, a, a get-under-your-skin kind of team, so I think they're just going to play their game. Uh, it really has worked for them so far, worked for them against Portland. Uh, again, I, I reflect to games two and three, their best two games of the series, where really the Pelicans, they won game three, were in great position to win game two, and they got to feel like if they can get back to playing that way, then they'll have give themselves another opportunity to win. I think shot-making affected them. Uh, tremendously in game four where when they started missing shots and they couldn't get anything to go and they couldn't score in the paint all of a sudden it snowballed on them golden state makes a couple of shots you know the pelicans droop their shoulders a little bit they start uh, losing their principles a bit defensively and give up some of those open layups and dunks that we had seen previously and i think it really got to, into their heads when when they couldn't make shots so hopefully they'll just be who they are they score well in the paint they're a team that has shot it better, certainly, than they shot it on Sunday. So hopefully they can get back to those. And on the road at Oracle Arena against the defending champs, you want to be close in those last two, three minutes to just give yourself a chance to win. So how do they give themselves a chance to win? Give me one or two factors. I know you talked about some of it just now, but one or two main things that if the Pelicans want to stay in this game throughout the full 48 minutes. How do they do so? Well, we know they got to make shots. But one thing they also have to do is they got to protect the basketball a little bit better. Uh, they turned it over 19 times for 21 points on Sunday. And they've had high turnovers and high points scored off turnovers in this series. I think Golden State's averaging more than 20 points scored off turnovers against the Pelicans in this series. They can't turn it over in live ball situations and give away those transition layups like that. Golden State's just too good a team. When you turn it over live ball, everybody knows exactly what their role are, is. And if you get back defensively, a lot of times you still don't match up properly and they still get a great look. So the Pels, obviously you got to shoot it better, but they got to protect it a little bit better too. They got to protect the basketball. And of course, you know, the defense they played in game three, we'd love to see a replication of that on Tuesday night where they were able to really get into some guys. Again, Kevin Durant hurt him in game three also, but he didn't hurt him as much as game four, but they were really able to kind of get after the other guys, the Steph Currys and the Draymond Greens and the Andre Iguodala's. 
those are the guys that they're going to have to be able to try to take away because you can't take away Kevin Durant. He's got to give you a whole lot of help. He's just got to miss shots. He's got to give you a lot of help. And if he doesn't give you a lot of help, that's impossible. But those other guys, I think they might be able to get to hopefully. All right, J.D. Well, after Tuesday night, the Pelicans will be here for nine nights for three games. And if we come back here for game seven, I'm thinking about buying some property if you want to join in on this. I tell you what, we, we've been here a long time, and it feels like we have really settled down some roots here. So, yeah, but I'd like to get back for game seven. I'd like to see what happens. If, I'd like for the Pelicans, you know, squeak, squeak one out on the road and go back home to the Smoothie King Center uh, for a game six. And I'd love to be back here for game seven. Should be a fun one. Looking forward to the call with you tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it myself. All right, that's Sean DeShazer. We'll have the call for you from Oracle Arena tomorrow night, 9 o'clock with Pelicans warm-up with Victor Howell, and then J.D. and I will have the call at 9.30 p.m. Central. When we come back, we'll take you back to Studio B. Sean Kelly sits down with Mark Stein of the New York Times. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Now, Uber takes you couch to courtside at the tap of a button. Heading to a Pelicans game, Uber helps you pass on the parking and focus on the fun. And if you're still an Uber rookie, you can get $20 off your first ride with code PELICANS18. Uber, a proud partner of your New Orleans Pelicans. We're talking NBA playoffs on the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We're so pleased to bring in our next guest today. He's the national NBA writer for the New York Times and a good friend of ours, Mark Stein, who is neck deep in NBA playoff basketball right now and uh, certainly keeping an eye on all four series which are coming down the stretch. And uh, Mark also spent time, obviously, in the Pelicans-Warriors series here over the weekend Mark, great to talk to you. Uh, fantastic weekend of basketball and some surprises, maybe some not. How did you take away what you saw over the last couple of days? Well, I guess for me, maybe the you know the biggest surprise, if you want to call it that, is that we're suddenly looking at four series that could all end pretty soon. The first round was so good and... I would have thought at least one of these four matchups would get to 2-2, but they didn't. So, you know, we'll see if, if the teams on the wrong end of these series score lines can, can find a way to extend it. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to the conference. I guess what I'm trying to say is we're getting to the conference finals a little too fast. We might, we might be looking at, at a few days here with no games, which isn't good. Yeah, no, it, it isn't good. Uh, and, and I guess in a season of so many twists and turns and great storylines, Mark, we may just have the, the, the four teams uh, remaining that everybody may have thought would be there all along, except for perhaps, you know, Toronto. But uh, do we do we just clearly have a situation that what we thought at the start is, is what's come to fruition, that there are three or four teams just that much better than everybody else? You know what, I, I don't think we can say that because of what Boston is doing without their main guys. I mean, that, you know, the Sixers played so well in the first round, and I think given Boston's injury situation, look, I, I'm sure plenty of, you know, I, I had the Sixers going all the way to the conference finals. I'm sure plenty of people out there thought that Boston could still win that series, but for Boston to go up 3-0, Without their two best players, I, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Uh, you know that, that that's that's just been an amazing story, and 
really a scary story to think about how good the Celtics are going to be in the future when they get Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving back, what they're already doing now, how Brad Stevens just keeps pulling the strings. That's been, that, that's been an amazing story. And, uh, you know, I, I, you just continue to marvel at, at what Stevens gets out of these guys. You're so right. And, Mark, I, I, we may be getting off tangent here a little bit, but it is so incredible. Forget free agency, forget the NBA draft. Just with those two guys coming back from injury, you'd almost have to say that they're the number one team in the East going into next season, right? And they still have assets to make more moves and keep shuffling the pack. I mean, they they they've done you know they've done an incredible job. I mean, Danny Ainge finding Brad Stevens and and making that call. You know, no one was talking about Brad Stevens when he made that move and. And he just keeps getting better. And, yeah, I mean, it is, a, it is a good time to be a Celtics fan. Let's just, let's just say that. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Mark, let's, let's uh, flip over to the West. And before we get to the Pelicans-Warriors, maybe a thought or two about the Jazz and the Rockets. Uh, I thought Utah would give them a little more, and they showed us in one of the games, but it just seems like Houston's moving on, and Chris Paul may actually get to the finals or the conference finals for the first time. Yeah, to be honest, it's quite a statement from the Rockets to be able to go into Utah as tough a place to play in this league and win two. The Jazz have and you know that itself is a good story over the course of his career and and to become such a pivotal piece for that team. Uh, you know that that's been that's been quite an unexpected development this season. But for for the Rockets. I mean, I think the Rockets were were you know, clearly shaken and edgy going to Utah 1-1, and you know they didn't play great in the Minnesota series either. They had they were not flowing offensively like we saw during the regular season. So for them to go into Utah and just absolutely disassemble the Jazz in Game Three, and then be able to back it up with another win and go home with a 3-1 lead. Yeah, I know Pelican fans don't really want to think of it, but you know this this Houston Golden State matchup that we've kind of building toward all season. Uh, you know, you have to say the Rockets look ready. Are the Warriors ready after what they did to the Pelicans yesterday? Well, you know, there's there's two ways to look at it. I mean, you know, the Warriors they were plenty spooked after after game three and what they encountered coming here to New Orleans and, uh, you know, really being pulverized in that game three. And it, it's pretty amazing to think that, you know, that that lineup, that the Hampton Five, as everybody's calling it, Steve Kerr had never started a game with that group. That's how nervous the Pelicans made the Warriors after just one game, after just one win, Steve Kerr felt the need to take a measure he had never taken before and start that group. We know that group closes games all the time, and that's always been kind of their killer closing lineup. But you know, Steve Kerr has always kind of wanted to use that group judiciously because Iguodala's 34, Draymond Green six foot seven, going against Anthony Davis. You know, one of the five best players in the league. You know that it takes a toll. So he, you know, he didn't want to have to make that move that soon. But uh, the Pelicans forced him into it. 
and the Warriors answered with their best game of the playoffs by far. I mean, they were just sharp in every category in, in game four. So, uh, you know, I don't think anyone, you know, I just spent four, four days in town. I don't think anyone around New Orleans is looking for moral victories, but there is, there is something there that the Pelicans forced the Warriors to do that. What does that mean moving forward, Mark? Because, you know, obviously, as you saw over the weekend, Pelicans fans saw the, the, the high and then they also experienced the low. Surely the Pelicans are somewhere in between. And what does that mean moving forward for the New Orleans franchise? Well, just speaking purely for myself, all season long, I was really intrigued by the idea of Davis and Cousins and how would the Warriors deal with that in the playoffs. And I... I really, you know, I, I love the idea that someone out there is trying to do it differently and, and take a, a completely different approach that you have to think the Warriors and, and even the Rockets, as much as they play small ball, would, would really have issues dealing with. And, you know, it's become a hot topic and the eternal question, are the Pelicans better without – Marcus Cousins, is that really true? I don't think it's true, but I also don't think we know. I mean, the, the, the Pelicans had finally started to figure it out when Cousins went down. They, you know, they beat Houston at a time when nobody was beating Houston in the regular season. And, you know, the first question is, how quickly can Cousins come back from an Achilles injury, which has always been the worst injury pretty much any NBA player can suffer. And for a big man, there's, there's even kind of less data to go on on how, you know what what kind of recovery can Cousins make? That's question number one. But with the success that the Pelicans found playing this way with Miritich next to Davis and through Holiday's ascendance, when you know if you bring Cousins back into that mix, where does that take this team? And you know, just as a neutral. I want to see it. I want to see if the Pelicans can make it work, and and if they can, I mean, I, I you know I think they will be a very interesting handful to go forward. But even even just the way they're constructed now, uh, you know, uh, you know, Dell Demps, I don't think he's gotten enough credit for the the team he's put around Anthony Davis. The pieces fit really really well. And Alvin Gentry, he's one of my favorite coaches in the league, and I think still, even after all this time, somewhat underrated as a coach. So, I mean, there, there's there's lots of upside. It's not going to make anybody feel better. I know the Pel- again, you know, I, the Pelicans are down three one. I don't I don't think their fans even want to hear about next year yet. But I am I am curious to see kind of how it all plays out. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm intrigued as well, and I maybe I don't have any answers. I get asked that question so many times. I'm. I'm glad you were able to weigh in and offer me a different perspective there, Mark. And at the same time, I also feel good that none of us really all know. And it's nice to know that somebody covering it from a national standpoint uh, is a uh, is as curious as, as the rest of us. Uh, yeah, I, Mark, I get you, that. I get I get the yeah. question all the time. They're, they're better without cousins. Like I don't see how you can conclusively say that. Like we just there's no way to know that. Um, and they no, look maybe over time that will be proven so. But I I. I want to see him healthy, and, and let's actually see what happens. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's the proper answer. Uh, Mark, in the moment, can the Pelicans force another game? Can they go out to Oakland and win on Tuesday night? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm 
pretty stupid of me to come on here and talk about like all fours before these series are over. As soon as you say that, somebody brings a surprise and wins a game five that they're not supposed to. So again, nothing illustrates Golden State's level of concern in dealing with this team more than, than the fact that they changed the lineup. Uh, you know, so uh, can the Pelicans pull themselves together and, and you know, win a game out there? I, I don't think we should be surprised by anything, but, you know, Golden State just came into that game four with, with a decided level of focus and sharpness that was a big step up from what happened in game three. And, you know, I, I think part of it, and, you know, I don't know if there's any way to kind of prove this or quantify it, but I think we saw it in the Portland series as well. These teams coming to New Orleans during the regular season, and it's a much different atmosphere in the playoffs when the building is packed and everybody's hyped. And, you know, I think in game three, the crowd was a factor. It certainly was in the Portland series. And maybe it just took Golden State a game to get adjusted to that and, and, you know, really respect that they were in a tough environment here. Um, but it's a tall order. I mean, Oracle's not a not a picnic to, to play in either. So we'll, we'll you know we'll we'll see what kind of response the Pelicans can muster. Um, you know, it starts it starts with Anthony Davis, obviously. But I mean, you know, he he's more than capable of having a game like Durant just had in Game Four. Yeah, uh, totally fair, totally fair. Mark Stein with us here from the New York Times. Mark, before I let you go, I love what you're doing here with the times and your, your want and desire to tell great stories and be able to really flesh them out. Can I, can I reach in your briefcase here and ask you to maybe preview what you've got cooking for us this week? I'm not allowed to share any previews. Those are all top secret in the vault. <laughs> uh, so I can't do that as much as I like you. I can't, I can't do that, but uh, now nah, look, we're, we're looking, we're, you know, there's, there's a zillion different things. Uh, you know, one thing for sure that I'm, you know, you kind of mentioned it, you know, Chris Paul finally getting to the conference finals, assuming he can it has to be kind of, you got to dig into it. And, uh, you know, that's, again, I, I'm, I'm probably speaking to the wrong audience here because I know in New Orleans nobody's terribly excited to see that series. But, but the Houston-Golden State matchup is one that we been building toward all season well we'll look forward to it mark that's for sure again thanks for your time i hope you enjoyed your stay over the weekend in our city and we'll look forward to you down the road as well no such thing as not enjoying new orleans <laughs> well said i will get the chamber of commerce on board with that as well all right see you soon and there you have it that's our black and blue report podcast for this monday may the 7th don't forget, Game 5 tomorrow night on the Pelicans Radio Network, otherwise nationally televised on our on our radio network. It'll be uh, Daniel Salerson, John DeShazer, and Victor Howell with the call of Game 5 between the Pelicans and the Warriors. Our thanks to Daniel and J.D. for checking in with us today, and, of course, a very special thanks to Mark Stein of the New York Times. Good NBA stuff today. We're back on Wednesday for another podcast, obviously recapping Game 5 of the series. And we'll also talk some football on Wednesday as well. I'm Sean Kelly. That'll do it for us here at Studio B. And, of course, for our crew out with the Pelicans on the road in the Bay Area. And so until next time, so long for just a while.